Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 55 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. And in this episode, we're talking about aliens and religion. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, folks, since ancient times, people have wondered about intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. Yes, ancient times. Today, most people and most scientists believe there is intelligent life, at least somewhere in the universe apart from our planet. But if we ever found it, what would the implications be for the Christian faith? What religious views might aliens hold, if any? What might they know about God? Should we evangelize them? Would they need evangelization? Could they even become Christians? And that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Yeah. So, so Jimmy, we want to give a caution up front. What, what is this caution we want to give? We don't even know if intelligent aliens exist, much less how they would relate to the faith. Consequently, everything in this episode should be understood as pure speculation. It's informed speculation, but it's just pure speculation. It's the best I'm, kind of speculation. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> pure informed. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying that any of the possibilities we will be covering are likely when I say something is possible, I mean that it's logically possible. It, it doesn't involve a contradiction of terms like married bachelor or square circle or four-sided triangle. I am also not saying anything we are going to cover is probable or something that the magisterium would eventually conclude is true. But um, within those parameters... We're trying to have an, an informed, speculative discussion about what would it mean for the faith if we discovered intelligent life. Obviously, it would mean that that it exists and thus that it's part of God's plan. So we don't have a problem with that. And we said that for a long time. God can create what he wants, but it would raise other questions. And that's what we're going to talk about. And so as a starting point for our discussion, we are going to be assuming two things in this episode. What are those two things? Well, the first assumption is that intelligent alien life, not just alien life, but intelligent alien life exists. From a reason perspective, this is likely to be true somewhere in the universe, even if it's very, very, very rare. But the arguments for that would take way too long to go through in this episode. So we're just going to assume that intelligent alien life exists. The second thing we're going to assume is a Catholic perspective. That is, the Christian faith in general is true, and the Catholic faith in particular is true. We also can provide lots of arguments for that. That's the function of Christian apologetics and Catholic apologetics. But again, that would be stuff for other episodes, not this one. So we're just going to assume that. We mentioned in the introduction that people have wondered about intelligent alien life since ancient times, and not everyone may be familiar with some of the evidence for that. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So in the second century AD, so this is the 100s, the Greek author Lucian of Samosata wrote a piece of fiction called A True Story. 
Uh, <laughs> it was a parody of Traveler's Tales because travelers would come back and say all this crazy stuff about foreign lands. Like, you know, there are people with one foot there and there are, you know, people who uh, run around in the woods there or whatever. It's crazy stuff. Nobody has just one foot. Nobody runs around in the woods. That's all nuts. And so... Um, <laughs> So he wrote this parody called A True Story, and it involved traveling to the moon, where the human characters get caught up in a war between the king of the sun and the king of the moon, both of whom want to colonize the morning star. And so they have their armies, the armies of the sun and the armies of the moon. Neither one of them are humans. And Lucian, so Lucian talks about that, and he talks about what life is like on the moon. A True Story, also sometimes translated as True History, is Lucian's most famous work, and it's often counted as the first work of science fiction. Interesting. It's very interesting. We'll start with the theories. What are the theories about alien life and religion? We're going to group them into three general categories, and the attempt here is to think systematically through the different possibilities we might encounter upon discovering alien life. So we'll be considering some really unusual and perhaps very implausible possibilities, but they're still going to be within the realm of logical possibility. The first category of theory involves what the aliens believe about the divine and the afterlife and how much of their knowledge is accurate. This could range any from... Anything between they don't know anything at all about the divine in the afterlife to they know more than we do about the divine in the afterlife and could be anywhere in between. The second category involves theories uh, about the salvation of aliens. This could range from they're all automatically lost to they're all automatically guaranteed heaven or anything in between. The third category concerns how they might relate to the Christian faith this could range from it's impossible for them to become Christians to they can become full Christians. Then the flip side of that is how might Christians relate to their religion? And finally, we will discuss how we'd be able to determine the answers to these questions. So let's get into the perspectives and address the theories as we go along through the perspectives. What can we say about aliens and religion from the reason perspective? There's a principle of reason that needs to form our discussion. It's kind of the inverse of a phrase you may have heard, as above, so below. That phrase is used in a variety of contexts to suggest that what happens here on earth mirrors what happens in heaven. So as above, so below, stuff that happens in heaven also happens on earth. Well, our principle is going to be as below, so above. In other words, we would expect to encounter the same kinds of things religiously among aliens that we find among humans. Now, we have to be cautious about this principle because they will be different than us. But if they have human level or better intelligence, we would expect them to also be similar to us intellectually. Our wetware should not be totally unique in the cosmos. And this is true even if you're an atheist. You, um, even if you think religion just evolved here on earth purely naturalistically without God involved, well, it would evolve elsewhere too. The same natural forces that led to it happening here would lead it to happen there as well. Also, since atheism's not correct and God actually guided the development of life here on earth, we would expect God would guide the development of life elsewhere 
And so whether from a non-religious or religious perspective, we would expect similarities in other species to what we find in ours. They won't be the same, but they'll be similar. It's possible that we might encounter an alien race that has a quirk in its wetware that makes them think fundamentally different about religion or any other topic than we do. I mean, they might just not comprehend the idea of cooking or something. It's like you cook in front of them, they still don't get it. (laughs) So it's possible, but, you know, the same fundamental forces, both natural and divine, that shaped our intelligence should affect them too. And so at least across multiple intelligent species, we'd expect to find a fundamentally similar religious picture. In fact, unless God has dealt with another race in a fundamentally different way than he did us, we would expect other races to share the same kind of diversity that we see religiously here on earth. Although, you know, God might choose to deal with them in a very different way, but that's getting more into the faith perspective rather than the reason perspective. In any event, the bottom line kind of on this is we'd expect to find religions that are similar with, similar to our own religions here on earth, but also different from them. And that's, you know, because there are only a finite number of religious options, like monotheism is a major religious option. We have multiple monotheisms here on earth that are differentiated from each other by their historical revelation claims, you know, okay, this religion, this monotheism says God appeared to Moses, and this one says God appeared to Moses and Jesus, and this one says God appeared to Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. So they're all monotheism, but how they're different is they claim different revelations historically. And we would expect the same thing on other planets. Some of them are going to be monotheists, and some of those monotheists are going to claim to have different revelations backing up their religion. So specifically, what kind of religious views should we expect to find among aliens from a reason perspective? There are four basic possibilities. The first one is kind of like the aliens don't get cooking uh, option. Mm -hmm. Um, Aliens, we might meet somebody who just can't, cannot even understand the concepts of the divine and the afterlife, the two big subjects of religion. Uh, You might say, okay, so there's a God and you explain what a God is and they just like, I don't get that at all. Right. Or you could say, okay, here's what happens when you die. And they're going, but there can't be an afterlife. I don't understand. You're talking square circles to me. And if that's the case, they would just have a really strange quirk in their wetware. On the other hand, it's possible they might not have these concepts initially, but they can understand them. So it's like we might hypothetically meet aliens that don't know about God or the afterlife. But when you explain them, it's like, oh, okay, I get that concept. Then you could have aliens who already have beliefs about the divine and the afterlife, but they've never had any revelation claims in their history. They've all done it all by reason. They've been reasoning philosophically about God and the afterlife or the gods in the afterlife. And then finally, you would expect to find aliens who have supernaturally based views of the divine and the afterlife, like virtually every religion here on Earth claims to have some kind of direct contact with the supernatural world that gives it information. How likely is it that they would be unable to understand the concepts of the divine or the afterlife? 
I think it's extremely unlikely if they have human or better level intelligence. I can see explaining to a chimpanzee that's minimally, minimally linguistic and the chimp having trouble, but if they're human level or better, I think they're going to uh, they're going to be able to understand these concepts. Yeah, I, I've I've encountered concepts in you know in in science fiction and in philosophy that I that I had a very hard time grasping and maybe still don't even really grasp, but I recognize that they exist. So that's yeah. sort of like that. So yeah, how likely is it that they would be able to understand these concepts, but not have not have them, not have you know imagine them before they meet us? I think that's also very unlikely, not quite as unlikely, but very unlikely. I think if they're human level or better, given that every human culture has concepts of divinity and afterlife, that's something that is just natural by reason, human level reason understands and, and produces those concepts. And I think they're going to have the same things. Whether they hold their views of the divine and the afterlife on purely philosophical grounds, or in connection with purported supernatural revelation, what kind of views would we expect to encounter? Well, on the divine, on the subject of divinity, there would be four basic options we would expect to find, which are the same ones we find here on Earth. Position number one, agnosticism. Maybe there's a divine. I don't know. Number two, atheism. There are no gods. Number three, polytheism. There's more than one god. And then monotheism, there is exactly one God. So those are the four basic options we encounter here on Earth. We would expect to encounter them among aliens. And not just across multiple species would we expect to find those four options, but even within a single species, we would expect to find a mix of those views, just like we do on Earth unless God has dealt with them very differently than he's dealt with us, like maybe they never fell or something, so they retained primitive monotheism and so forth. But if 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 he's dealt with them like he dealt with us, if they've been allowed to fall and they did, we would expect a mix of these ideas. Then we also have on the afterlife. So in terms of views on the afterlife, we would basically expect to find similar options to the ones we see here on Earth. That ranges from nothing survives at all after death. Purely, I mean, purely than, materialism. Yep. Yeah, just uh, your matter survives, but nothing else. Also, uh, you might have some people that say, well, there's something that's spiritual that survives, but it's not really personal survival. It's my, more like your soul stuff that then gets recycled and becomes part of somebody else's soul, but it's not really you anymore. Just like your body can get recycled and become part of something else, but it's not really your body anymore. Then you would have people who might say, okay, you do survive death without a body. It's you, it's personal survival, but it's like the float on off to heaven thing. You don't really ever get a body back. Then personal survival via reincarnation. Uh, so you could come back multiple times. We see that option here on earth. Sometimes we'll see that with different parts of you going to different places, you know, in religious views here on earth, that even kind of bridges over into the final one, which is personal survival with resurrection, where there's like a single future incarnation, you're going to come back you're not going to be born again. You're going to get your body back. And that's also something where there can be multiple parts of you. Like in Egyptian religion, there were multiple parts to a human being and you kind of fell apart at death and they different things would happen with them. 
But at least across multiple species and even within a single species, we would probably find a mix of these views just like here on Earth, unless God has dealt with them very differently. That's the reason perspective. Uh, obviously, there's, there's going to be a big faith perspective. Where would aliens get knowledge of God? Well, they might have purely philosophical ideas about the divine in the afterlife. We've had human philosophers reason about this, like some of the pre, uh, some of the pre-Christian Greek philosophers reasoned their way to the idea of a single great God. And it's likely that this would happen with aliens, too, in light of what St. Paul says. From Romans, the first chapter, verses 19 to 20. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Right. So Paul here is talking about humans who don't have contact with Israel's revelation. He says they can still learn about God just from nature. And if that's true with the human level intellect here on Earth, we would expect the same thing of human or better level intellects on other planets. They also could deduce the existence of God, his eternal power and deity and so forth, just by looking at the created world. On the other hand, God may have given them some form of revelation. We can't say this for sure, because even here on Earth, among human cultures, God hasn't given that many different streams of revelation. I mean, it's really, okay, it all starts, or at least in within semi-recorded history, it starts with Abraham and grows from there. But it's not like we have, oh, and the same God clearly appeared to this other guy in this other culture and started the same religion on the other side of the world. Right. You know, that's kind of what Mormonism claims, but that's not what history shows. And so even here on Earth, God tended to start with one specific stream of revelation and then broaden it. And it could be that he therefore doesn't appear to every culture out there in the stars. Maybe we're the root, just like Abraham was the root of, of, of divine revelation here on Earth. Maybe we're the root of divine revelation in the galaxy or something. Or he could appear to them just like he appeared to us and give them knowledge about himself. And personally, I tend to lean towards that option because if he didn't leave himself without witness here on Earth supernaturally, I would tend to think he wouldn't leave himself without witness supernaturally to other creatures of his. Right. Well, the other one is kind of like when Europeans first sailed to the New World, the people of the New World didn't know Christianity didn't know God in right. the way we know him, and we brought him. But the second one would be if, yeah, I get what you're saying. That if God had had some sort of revelation to them uh, apart from that uh, in an, on another world, I get that. So what about the different options for what aliens might know about God? When it comes to the divine, aliens who are anything other than monotheists know less about the divine than we do, because we know there's this one God. Now, we know there's also other subsidiary supernatural beings like angels and so forth, but we do know there's this one great God who made everything. And if they don't know that, then they know less about God than we do. If they're philosophical monotheists, they've just deduced the existence of this God, then uh, they would know something about God, but it also would be less than us because they don't have the revelation we have access to. But if they claim to have supernatural revelation, the situation gets more complex. Even if they claim to have revelation, well, okay, so let's start with, you know, God may not have made contact with them 
And in that case, they wouldn't have any supernaturally revealed knowledge, but they might think they do. Just like Greeks, you know, they had the oracle at Delphi and that gave them what they thought was revelation from the god Apollo. Well, it wasn't, but they thought it was. And so we could meet aliens that think they've got revelation from the true god, but don't. In that case, their religion would likely contain some elements of truth, and it would require picking them apart and identifying which claims are accurate and which aren't. This is something we see St. Paul do for the Greeks in Acts chapter 17. He says, okay, actually, your own authors are right about this and this and this, but then they're not quite so right about this other stuff. And so we could have to do a similar evaluation of alien beliefs based on revelation they thought they had, but really didn't. Or God may have genuinely made contact with them. If so, they would have genuine knowledge of God by revelation. It might be less than we have. For example, equivalent to one of the stages of of revelation in the Old Testament. You know, Abraham didn't know as much as Moses. Moses didn't know as much as Isaiah. Isaiah didn't know as much as Jesus. And so, you know, they could have some knowledge of God that's kind of along that spectrum. Or it could be roughly equivalent to us, roughly equivalent to what we find in the New Testament. It might even be more than what is in the New Testament. It might be more knowledge of God than what he's revealed to us, similar to the knowledge of God we'll have at the second coming. So it could be anywhere along that spectrum. And there's also a complication. Even if God has made contact with them and has given them revelation, it might be mixed with false revelation, like on earth is the case with Islam and Mormonism, where even though, yeah, okay, Muslims kind of honor the Bible and, and the Torah and Mormons honor the Bible, but they've also got this other stuff in the Quran and the Book of Mormon that even though they sincerely believe it's divine revelation, it's actually not. And we can encounter the same thing with aliens. Also, they may not understand the revelation they have correctly. We see that here on Earth. There are all these different Christian groups that are appealing to the same basic Bible, and they have different ideas about what the Bible means, and they can't all be right. And so we couldn't find the same thing among aliens. We we might find, okay, God revealed himself to these aliens, and immediately a bunch of different sects started interpreting that revelation differently. So it could be the same headache among them that we have here. Now, their revelation would undoubtedly be different than ours in some ways. I mean, these details, for example, could occur with, well, like their equivalent of salvation history. Here on earth, God appeared to Abraham and then God appeared to Moses. And so you could, in their religious history, okay, God appeared to this guy and then later he appeared to this guy. There's sort of an alien Abraham or an alien Moses. They also might have their own set of sacraments and rituals that God has given them based perhaps on their biology and how it works. And he might have told them things, I mean, actual doctrines that he hasn't told us about. And how we would deal with that issue is very thorny. And we'll talk about it in the final section of our show today. So these are the options about their their knowledge of the divine. What about their knowledge of the afterlife? 
So the same basic options apply, whether philosophically or supernaturally based. Their knowledge about the afterlife might be erroneous or it might be accurate. It might be less than our knowledge, equal to our knowledge, or more than our knowledge of the afterlife. But there's an important difference here. In the case of the divine, God is an absolute and a universal one. So there is only one God. That is true for all alien races. But the afterlife may not be universal. I mean, we have an afterlife and it involves resurrection, but that's by God's choice. He doesn't have to have us be immortal at all. And if if we are immortal, he doesn't have to have us be resurrected. He's chosen to do that. So that's the fate of humans. But he could have made different choices for aliens. They either might not have survival after death or they might survive after death in some other way. So they, they might may or may not have life after death. So could we say that they would die at all? Must well, they? Aquinas points out, and science bears this out, that any natural body is going to be subject to decay. I mean, the universe is entropic, and so things run down and break down over time. And therefore, unless aliens have access to supernatural graces that we presently don't, their bodies are going to be mortal, like our bodies are. They might be very long-lived, they might have, you know, technology that keeps them alive indefinitely, but they would still fundamentally be mortal, kind of like the alien Lorien in Babylon 5. He was the first life form in the universe, and he doesn't have to die intrinsically. He's got an open-ended lifespan, but members of his race can get sick and die, or they can have an accident and die, or they can be killed, but they don't have an innate need to die. And there are even some species here on Earth that are like that, that can just go on indefinitely. And, mm. um, <clears throat> you know, people in, uh, in aging research, like Aubrey de Grey and so forth, are trying to develop technology to make us one of those species. <laughs> uh, and so we might meet aliens who don't have a natural need to die, but you still could kill them. And so they would be mortal in that sense, unless... God has given them this supernatural grace to keep them alive no matter what, like he will eventually us. So a lot like uh, Tolkien's elves, um, which uh -huh. maybe where that name Lorien comes from, because it's the yeah. a word from Tolkien. Um, mm -hmm. or, or, yeah, okay. So this brings us to the theories regarding the salvation of aliens. What can we say about that? Well, the question of eternal salvation only comes up if they have an eternal destiny, and they might not. For example, if they have no personal afterlife, like we commonly here on Earth believe animals don't, well, then they wouldn't have an eternal destiny and they don't need to be saved. They're just going to die and that's it. Or God might let them reincarnate endlessly, in which case there's no eternal destiny because they're like the energizer bunny of reincarnation. They just keep going. Or God might let them slip in and out of the good place. So there's no eternal destiny. They can go to heaven for a while. They can screw up. They can go to the bad place. They can get right with God. They can go back to the good place. But there's no eternal fixity to their destiny. That's another thing God could choose to do with them. But I think it's probable, and I can't say this for everybody, but I think it's probable that they would have an eternal destiny, a final fixed thing, that an end state. 
Uh, and the reason I say that is because that's the case for the two intelligent types of creatures we know about, humans and angels. Both humans and angels have an eternal destiny to either good or bad. And so I think that it's more likely than not that that would be the case for an alien species we would meet based on the precedent we know about. Now, if they have an eternal destiny, they might achieve it in their current existence, which is the way angels did. So the angels, God creates an angel, the angel doesn't die, the angel just makes a decision for or against God, and bang, its destiny is fixed. It's either a good angel or a bad angel. In the case of humans, we achieve our destiny over the course of our present life. So we can go back and forth between good and bad during our life, but then our fundamental option becomes fixed at death so that there's, um, as it says in Hebrews uh, 9.27, it's appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So our choice gets locked at that point. But it might not be locked among angels. They could get a chance after death. Aliens. If God wants. Aliens. I'm sorry. Yeah. I have all these words floating around in my output <laughs> yeah. buffer, and I occasionally grab the wrong one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So thank you for the safety net. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yes. So the angels, God, uh, the aliens, God could choose to give possibilities after death, even multiple chances. Also, their final destiny might be either disembodied, like the angel's final destiny, or it might be embodied, like ours. The final destiny for aliens also could be natural or supernatural. And I have to explain what that means, because these are terms of art that are used in Catholic theology. When you talk about a supernatural destiny, what that means is you get to be with God as opposed to a natural destiny where you don't. You might get to live in a really great paradisical outer space Garden of Eden, but you're not in immediate spiritual contact with God the whole time. You don't have what theologians call the beatific vision. And Catholic theologians, in speculating about what God could have done with our race but didn't, one of the things they've said is he could have created us in what's called a state of pure nature, where you know, we might have unending life that's pleasant, you know, kind of in a paradise, but without immediate spiritual knowledge of God, without the beatific vision. The and good place, the, the neighborhoods on the good place would be kind of like the, kind of like the neighborhoods in the good place. OK. And when I say beatific vision or immediate knowledge of God, that's more than the knowledge we have now. Mm -hmm. It's what what scripture depicts as, you know, seeing God as he is and so forth, not with our physical eyes, but being in intense spiritual communion with him where there's no barriers between us and him. Uh, so that's what heaven is for us. It also could be aliens have a kind of perpetual limbo, which is kind of pleasant, but kind of unpleasant and could be embodied or not. It could be a world very much like this one. You know, they they get they die and they get reincarnated or resurrected, and it's basically to another mortal existence. So there's no higher destiny. That's another kind of natural destiny they could have. If their destiny is supernatural, then it would involve either the beatific vision or the painful absence of the beatific vision. So essentially either heaven or hell, though it might be either embodied or disembodied, depending on the choices God has made for their races. And also, if they have an eternal destiny and it's supernatural, so they're either going to be with God or not, they might achieve it in stages. 
the way we do, because we have after death, the intermediate state, we may have purgatory, and then we have the resurrection. So we kind of achieve our end destiny in stages. It might be the same for them, or they might have it immediately upon death. So a bunch of options for what God could do with them. And then so raises another question, which is, would every member of this alien race have the same destiny? It's we don't know. In the case of the two races we know about, humans and angels, they do not all have the same destiny. Some humans have one destiny, other humans have another. Some angels have one destiny, other angels have another. But it's not necessarily the case with aliens. It could be they're all lost, either because they all chose definitively against God, like the fallen angels did. It's just all of them did it. Or it could be because they fell and God didn't choose to redeem them. Although that option is discouraged by the catechism, which says the only reason the angels aren't redeemable is not because of a limitation in God's mercy. It's because their choice is fixed. They don't want to repent. But if they did, God's mercy would be big enough for them. And so if you use that paragraph in the catechism as a norm, it would suggest God's mercy is also big enough for aliens. So the only way they would end up not redeemed is if they didn't want it. It could also be saved that some are saved and some are lost, depending on what they do in life or afterwards, you know, which is basically like us. Or it could be they all are saved, either because they never fell, like the good angels did, or because they fell and God saved them all anyway you know, just decided, hey, let's be generous to this race. They all get saved. Their race, therefore, might be completely unfallen. It might be partially fallen and partially unfallen, which is the case with us and angels. Or, well, I should say is the case with angels. And then it could be like us. We're completely fallen. All of us fell with a few exceptions like Jesus and Mary. And then we have to be redeemed. And if they're redeemed, they could be redeemed through Jesus Christ here on earth, through his death on the cross in 33 AD in Jerusalem. Or it could be the Son of God is in, has incarnated on their planet, like in the episode Bread and Circuses of the original seri series Star Trek and other sci-fi novels where the Son of God appears on other planets to save people. Or they could have been saved through some other means. Uh, Aquinas points out God didn't have to use Jesus' death to save us. He chose to, and there are reasons he chose to, but he, in his omnipotence, could save us in all kinds of other ways. And he could have used some of those other ways to save aliens. That one, that right there seems to be a big point for a lot of people about, does, did Jesus die on other planets? You know, was he incarnated and died on other planets? Uh, or just on ours. So that's that's an interesting element. So what can we say? Well, all, all, I can, all I can say is God can do what he chooses. So yeah. if he chooses to incarnate on another planet and die there, he can do that. There are interesting questions to that that I think are mm -hmm. tangents from what we're, we're doing. So I'm, I'm going to stay on track and not get okay. distracted by that really interesting discussion. Maybe we'll do that another time. Yeah. But what can we say about the theories regarding aliens relating to Christianity specifically? Obviously, we can talk to each other about God. I mean, assuming we can communicate with each other at all, which we presumably can. It may take us a while to figure it out. But if they're as smart as we are or better, we should be able to hammer out a way of talking to each other. And depending on what God has done with their race, they they might have no interest in becoming Christians. They might say, thank you very much, but we've all turned our back on God and don't care anymore. 
or we never fell, so we don't need to be saved, but thank you for the offer. Or they may have been redeemed another way and said, okay, yeah, we fell too, but then God did this and we're all good now. So there are some different options. They may not be interested in becoming Christian. So what if they are interested in becoming Christian? In the final section of our show, we'll deal with how we would settle these issues, but there might be doctrinal reasons why we couldn't make aliens Christians, mm. if they, even if they wanted to. And we'll talk about those. But for now, let's assume that there are there's no doctrinal prohibition on an alien being a Christian. On that assumption, let's talk about the practicalities of what aliens becoming Christians would involve. So what is the first practical thing we'd need to do? We need to catechize them. And that shouldn't be a problem because we've figured out how to talk to them. And so we can say, okay, now that we know how to talk to each other, here is what the Christian faith is all about. Here's what its teachings are. Here's what its practices are. They might not all apply to them in the same way that they apply to us. Uh, for example, if they can communicate with us, I mean, they may not apply in the same way, but they the cate basic catechesis should apply. Like, for example, if we can talk to them, they should be able to pray to God. We should be able to, like, teach them a suitably translated version of the Lord's Prayer. And so they could participate in that aspect of the faith. But their biology might mean that some elements of the Ten Commandments don't apply to them the way they apply to us. So which, that's interesting, because which of the Ten Commandments would not necessarily apply to them? Well, let's take thou shalt not kill, which really means thou shalt not murder. Their reproductive system could involve something like certain terrestrial species, like certain kinds of spiders, where one mate eats another and even needs to eat another. It might involve or it might involve the death of a parallel intelligent species, similar to the puppeteers in Larry Niven's known space series. The puppeteers have two forms of males, a sperm carrying male and an ovum carrying male. And to reproduce, they need to impregnate a companion species known as the companions, who are all female and have their own reproductive way. But even though they, um, their babies gestate in a companion, the companion does not survive the birth process. It's kind of like when a digger wasp or a jewel wasp lays its eggs on a cockroach, the cockroach does not survive. Well, their biology might involve eating your mate, just like some spiders do, or it might involve laying an egg in an alien species that also does not survive, kind of like in the movie Alien. <laughs> so they're, in order to reproduce and survive, they might have to kill an innocent of some kind, in which case thou shalt not kill wouldn't apply to them in the same way. It's still what, we, what you would argue is, okay, because God let their biology go this way, to where in order to survive, they have to do this. It's just part of who they are, like the wasps and, and spiders on Earth. That's part of God's plan. So this is part of God's plan, too. It's not murder when they do it. It's, it's, it results in the death of an innocent, but that doesn't count as murder in this case because it's not an unnecessary act of aggression. It's biologically mandated based on the way God designed their species, like he designed spiders and cockroaches, it's, or spiders and wasps. There's a root of a very interesting science fiction story in there where a Christian, where an alien species 
is is doing this to humans and the humans yeah. can't fight back because we are prohibited from murder. That's a very yeah. interesting, could yeah, be an interesting I, story. I, I, some <laughs> humans might think they're prohibited in that situation. I, I would argue to the contrary. Self-defense. You, yeah. You, it is self-defense. You go do that to your own companion species, not me. Thank you. <laughs> that would, I, like I said, it could be a very interesting story that uh, someone yeah. could write. Um, all right. So could other elements of the Ten Commandments apply to them differently? Yeah, and an obvious example is thou shalt not commit adultery. Suppose their reproduction involves genetic material from multiple inputs, not just two like us. You've got the male genome, the female genome, and they merge and you get a new baby. Well, it, they might have multiple inputs and they might even require different inputs each time. You might not be able to do it twice with the same inputs. In that case, they wouldn't have stable monogamous unions or even polygamous unions. The notion of sexual fidelity, therefore, for them would mean something very different if it even applied at all. And it might not apply. For example, they could reproduce like by themselves without a mate, like some terrestrial microbes do. Uh, and other actually some other life forms. Well, if they're if they just clone themselves naturally they don't even have sex. So, or they might have sex, but it might be like some species of underwater life where, okay, let's all get together and lay our eggs on these rocks and then let's release huge clouds of stuff that will fertilize the eggs. And we're all doing it at once. And so none of us are mating with each other. It's just kind of this group thing happens to give birth to the next generation, in which case, again, there's no sexual fidelity that applies in that kind of situation. So it thus might be necessary to take the principles that are in the Ten Commandments and other Christian moral principles and apply them in a way that works with their biology, because the Ten Commandments really are designed for human biology. They, they don't even apply or wouldn't if they were intelligent to apply to other species here on Earth, given the way their system of reproduction works. But, you know, once we've done the suitable catechesis, we then ready be ready to give the aliens the sacraments. So how would aliens relate to the sacraments then? It depends on their race's individual situation. They might not they might be able to receive all of the sacraments like humans or at least some humans can. Or they might only be able to receive some of them or they might not be able to receive any of them. Now, you'll note that. Even most humans don't receive all of the sacraments, so it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect aliens might not be able to. Here on Earth, women cannot receive holy orders, and even most men do not receive it. So, you know, that's a sacrament that very few humans get, and it might be the case that aliens couldn't have some sacraments at all. So we really need to look at the individual sacraments and see, what, see how alien biology might relate to them. All right, let's take them one by one. How might aliens relate to the very first one, baptism? This is the key sacrament because this is the one that fundamentally makes you a Christian. And so if aliens are going to be Christians, we're going to have to be able to baptize them. Baptism requires water to flow on your body, not on your clothing or your encounter suit or exoskeleton, but on your body. And aliens might not be able to handle that. For example, uh, in Larry Niven's known space series, there's a group of aliens called outsiders 
who are helium-based life forms that can exist only at the kind of temperatures you find in outer space. Even touching exposed human skin would boil them alive. So there's no way you could pour liquid water over their bodies without killing them. Or you could have aliens who have a very different biochemistry and to them water is poison. That's unlikely because water is really useful for life, but it could happen. So then aliens who accepted the Christian faith by catechesis but couldn't be baptized, they could still be Christian in their belief. They just wouldn't be Christians sacramentally. Uh, They would kind of be like perpetual catechumens, or they would be like the God-fearers in Jesus' day. These were people who worshipped the God of Israel, but who weren't circumcised and didn't become Jews. On the other hand, if they can handle the physical act of water baptism, then they could become Christians in the sacramental sense, and they would have received the first and most important sacrament of Christian initiation. Okay, so how might aliens relate to confirmation? Well, it's the second sacrament of of Christian initiation, and again, they might or may not be able to receive it. The outsiders obviously could not, because it requires the laying on of hands, and human hands, as we mentioned, are going to boil these people alive. So they couldn't have that. Also, since early times, oil has been used in this sacrament, and uh, it might be poisonous to them. So it might not be possible to physically confirm aliens, or certain aliens anyway. Certain aliens, right. And and if they don't receive the sacrament of confirmation, they could possibly receive the, the other sacraments. Right. So they could be baptized, and they might be able to receive the Eucharist or confession or whatever, just not confirmation. Then how might aliens relate to the Eucharist? So this is the third sacrament of initiation. And while the bread and wine become the the body and blood of Jesus when they're consecrated in the Eucharist, our bodies still perceive them as bread and wine. So our eyes do, our nose does, our taste buds do, and so does our metabolism. And so... Even here on Earth, there are people who can't have the consecrated elements. Uh, People with celiac disease are allergic to the protein gluten, and if the allergy is serious enough, they can't have normal consecrated hosts. They may or may not be able to tolerate low-gluten hosts, but they can't have normal ones. Similarly, some people can't tolerate wine and need to use what's called mustum, which is a low fermentation type of grape juice. Still got a little bit of alcohol, but not very much. So if aliens can't tolerate the accidents of bread and wine, then they wouldn't be able to receive the Eucharist. And in that case, they wouldn't be responsible for failing to receive the Eucharist. Sometimes people will ask about, well, what about where Jesus says in John 6.53, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, that that's a truth, but God doesn't hold you accountable for what you don't know or can't do. And so aliens who can't receive the Eucharist would be in the same position as humans who, through no fault of their own, are unable to receive the Eucharist, either because they don't know about it or they don't have a priest or they can't physically tolerate the consecrated species. Otherwise, the aliens could receive the Eucharist, presumably, unless the magisterium says otherwise, and would be able to receive that sacrament. So a related, uh, or possibly related sacrament is 
confession. How would aliens relate to confession? Confession involves the exchange of information as the matter of the sacrament. And we're already supposing we can communicate with these aliens and, and otherwise we couldn't have catechized them. And so I, I, I think it's highly likely that baptized aliens would be able to go to confession. All they have to do is the matter of the sacrament, tell the priest what they did wrong and they can be absolved of it. And, you know, with this suitable intention to repent and do penance and so forth. How might aliens relate to anointing, uh, like the various kinds of anointing, like anointing of the sick? Yeah, this one is similar to baptism and also to confirmation in that it requires the physical administration of something. You you have the laying on of hands and the, and the administration of oil in the anointing of the sick. If the aliens can tolerate those things, then we could do it to them if they're otherwise, you know, baptized Christians. But some aliens might not be able to handle that, either for temperature reasons like the outsiders or toxicity reasons as might be the case with other aliens. I do want to, uh, to go back and kind of uh, get clarification. The laying mm-hmm. on of hands requires bare hands, right? You can't have gloves or anything. Yeah, right? if you put gloves on, it's not the laying on of hands, at least at the church's pres- present state of doctrinal development. Just like with baptism, you can't just pour water on someone's clothing. It needs to make personal contact with the skin. Okay, and it can't be like ice cubes or whatnot. It has to be yeah, flowing it needs water. To be, it needs to flow. Okay, yeah. those are those are a couple of things that I was just thinking. All right, so uh, continuing through the sacraments, how about matrimony? So we mentioned how reproduction could affect the application of the Ten Commandments to them, and the same thing is going to apply with matrimony. It's going to depend on their biology. We know that for us, one man, one woman for life is God's plan, but it might not be his plan for them. Many species on Earth do not have an equivalent of matrimony. They're they're not lifelong monogamists. Some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. And many alien species might not be either. They might have something that's kind of analogous to matrimony, like they've got, okay, if they have three sexes, they might have a permanent lifelong pairing of one male, one female, and one of the third sex, in which case it would kind of be doctrinally open about, okay, if we have members of all three sexes and they're baptized, does that automatically elevate to a sacramental marriage among them? The way if you have a baptized man and woman and they marry each other, it automatically becomes a sacramental marriage for them? That would be an interesting doctrinal question the magisterium would have to sort out. But they might not have anything corresponding to marriage. I mentioned how some underwater species just communally lay eggs and then have a kind of firestorm of fertilization that happens grouply. There's no marriage there, and the same thing might happen for aliens. Also, in Orson Scott Card's novel, Speaker from the Dead, and its sequels, we meet a a race called the Pecaninos or Piggies, and they fall into this category. Their biology does not allow for anything like marriage. But despite that, many of them do become Christians and, in fact, Catholics. So uh, even though Orson Scott Card is Mormon, he's got a bunch of aliens who are Catholics in this uh, novel. How might aliens uh, then relate to holy orders, the, the cler- becoming yeah. priests? So this is the most delicate of all the questions. Holy orders is structurally central to the Christian faith, and there would need to be lots of thought devoted to can you have alien deacons and alien priests and especially alien bishops. There very well could be doctrinal reasons preventing admission to one or another grade of holy orders. 
for example, here on earth, teaching that the teaching that only a baptized male can be ordained could be relevant. What if none of them are males? Or there's just a lot of potential conflicts here. So this is gonna this would be the hard one. But it, it's something the magisterium would have to thrash out after considering very carefully. Let's say if aliens couldn't participate in sacramental life, are there other ceremonies they might be able to participate in? Yeah. We've already mentioned how if they can if we can communicate with them, then they're almost certainly going to be capable of prayer. So they could pray, they could participate in the liturgy in that way. Also, they might be able to use some of the sacramentals, not the sacraments, but the sacramentals. The outsiders, for example, couldn't use holy water, but they might be able to use holy ice crystals. Mm-hmm. You know, you could bless right. an ice cube and they they can't melt it, but they could touch it to themselves, maybe, and bless themselves with it. And bless many blessings don't even require physical contact. So, um, I mean, you say God bless you to someone or a priest reads a blessing over you. You don't have to have physical contact. And so you could give blessings to aliens. In fact, we bless other species here on Earth, like when animals like farm animals are being blessed or the plants in a farmer's fields are being blessed or even a house is being blessed. So you could bless aliens that way. It might even be possible for aliens, even if they can't participate in the sacraments, to take religious vows so they could be monks and nuns. So even though the outsiders couldn't be baptized to become Christians, they could say, I want to live in a, in a, in a really close to absolute zero monastery and consecrate my life to God. Interesting. Yeah. So, so what can we say about the theories regarding Christians relating to, like, if aliens have a religion, what, what do we say yeah. about that? So we are Christians and we can't unbecome Christians. That the, but there are questions about, well, okay, what could we learn from them? If we can communicate with them, then we can certainly tell them what God has revealed to us. It might not might not always be prudent to do so, you know, like if they kill every missionary we send them, but we could do so in principle. We could also ask them about their religious beliefs, and they might tell us things that God has revealed to them. This was the quest of the monks on Babylon 5 who came to live on the station. They wanted to interview, tell all the aliens, here's what God has done for us, and ask the aliens what God has done for them. But this would require careful discernment. The usual tests for revelation would apply. For example, even if they claim to have supernatural revelation, do they have evidence that backs that up? Like, for example, do they have miracles? That's one of the classic tests of is a revelation genuine? Is it backed up by a miracle? Uh, Dom, there's a passage in the book of Deuteronomy that discusses that. Could you read that for us? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word which the Lord has not spoken. That's Deuteronomy 18.22. Yeah, so if we met aliens and they said, oh yeah, our prophet Bob the Great has been telling (laughs) us about God or told us about God a thousand years ago, we'd want to say, okay, did Bob the Great have any miracles that would lend credibility or could Bob the Great have just been imagining it? Peace be upon him. (laughs) Got to be a little diplomatic there. Right. Similarly, even if they have credible miracles, that doesn't mean they came from God. Actual supernatural events can be caused by, you know, the bad guys. And so we need to also see, does their revelation contradict 
what we already know. And this is, again, a test that we use here uh, on Earth to test, is revelation genuine? Does it contradict previous revelation? And again, there's a passage from Deuteronomy on that. If a prophet arises among you or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder which he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet. That's Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 3. Yeah, so if the aliens have a revelation and it has miracles, but it contradicts what we already know about God, stay away. The magisterium, though, in determining that would need to be careful in its discernment of the issue because of the differences between them and us. There could be things that at first glance might sound like it contradicts our revelation, but it actually might not, especially if they conceptualize things differently or if their biology works very differently. For example, here on Earth, we have a male sex and a female sex. And for us, God has chosen, God himself does not have a sex, but he's chosen in divine revelation to ordinarily depict himself using the image of a male, of a father, a king, things like that, not a mother or a queen. Well, okay, that's based on our genders and how God designed us, but if he's dealing with aliens who have no sex, they're not even going to have the concept of father or mother, or if they might have different sexes, none of which are male or female, or they might have sexes where they do have male and female, but they have different qualities, like in spiders, sometimes the female spider is really the big and aggressive one, and the male spider is the little timid one that runs away because it doesn't want to be eaten. Well, that's the flip side of how the genders work in our race, where the males are the more aggressive and, on average, physically stronger. So God could communicate with aliens using their biology in a way that sounds different than the way he communicated with us, but ultimately isn't contradicting. And so the magisterium would need, in sorting all this out, to be careful in thinking through these things. Suppose that the magisterium determines that they that they likely do have authentic revelation. Would Christians, would we be bound to accept that? I don't think so. Jude 3 tells us that the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it points out that the Christian, this is uh, paragraph 67, it says, Christian faith cannot accept revelations that claim to surpass the revelation of which Christ is the fulfillment. And paragraph 66, the one right before, says no new public revelation is to be expected before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So before the second coming, we're not getting any new public revelation. That means revelation that's binding on everybody. God does, though, uh, give private revelation, which can be binding on the recipients, but is not binding on us. And so... If we found intelligent aliens and if God had revealed stuff to them, it might be binding on them, just like private revelation can be binding on the ones who receive it, but it wouldn't be binding on us because it's not part of human public revelation. So that's how I assume the magisterium would rule on that. And that's assuming that they had received revelation from God. Right. Yeah. So how would the magisterium go about sorting out some of these many questions that come up? 
we've already mentioned the basic principles that are involved in evaluating claims if they say we've they've heard from God. In terms of what would happen uh, in practice, the magisterium would, you know, need to sort out the if they're interested in becoming Christians, they magisterium would need to sort out to the extent, to what extent can that happen? That would require a lot of discernment and ultimately would cause doctrinal development. So the magisterium itself, the bishops teaching in union with the Pope would need to be involved. It might even require the intervention, the infallible intervention of a Pope or an ecumenical council to ultimately settle some of this. But I think that there are certain things that the magisterium would likely do in the process of discerning these questions. What would they do? The magisterium doesn't settle questions out of abstract curiosity. That's that's why it hasn't already developed any teachings on the subject of aliens. We haven't even discovered them, so there's no practical need to teach authoritatively on the matter. If we did discover them, the first thing that would need to be done is an assessment of them from a doctrinal perspective. Uh, this is essentially the mission that Father David Hardy is sent on in Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell's novel, The Mode in God's Eye. He's directed, we've just met the first intelligent alien race we've ever found in a thousand years. They're called the Modis. And so Dr. Hardy, Father Dr. David Hardy, is a, a linguist, and he's sent to figure out, does this alien race have souls, and to learn about their religions, and to determine the potential for evangelizing this race. How difficult would it be to find out whether they have souls? In Catholic theology, all living things have souls. So I think that Father Hardy in the book really didn't need to fret about that question. Catholic theology would say, oh, you're alive, you got a soul. The question is whether the soul survives death. And we know that our souls survive death. And the common theological opinion is that our souls survive death because they're rational souls. The common opinion, and this is not church teaching, but the common opinion is because animals don't have irrational souls, or don't have rational souls, they don't survive death. But because we have rational ones, we do. So if we discovered aliens that have human or better level reasoning, then the natural inference is going to be, okay, they've got natural souls. Rational souls. And rational souls. Yep. And we would then, the safe assumption would be they survive death too. Also, if they have a concept of the afterlife, even if they don't understand it the way we do, I would say that's even further evidence that they've got an afterlife, that their souls survive death. If they have this concept, assume it's real for them, just like it's real for us. Also, if they then have a belief in the divine, then that's evidence, well, not final proof, but it's evidence that not only do they have an afterlife, but it's a supernatural destiny where they get to be in union with God. And if they have a consciousness of sin and the need to repent, I would say that's evidence that they both need salvation and can be saved. The real question would be, do they want to become Christians to achieve that salvation? Or do they think they've got some other way? So how would we settle that question? Uh, the magisterium wouldn't weigh in on the question of whether they can become Christians unless there's a pastoral need to do so. And there would need to be certain conditions fulfilled for that to happen. People might speculate, but if uh, the aliens are all just uninterested in conversion, then the matter wouldn't end up being authoritatively settled. 
For example, you know, they might be unfallen or they might be confirmed in good or evil or just to have no interest. But if they did, but, you know, otherwise they might be interested in becoming Christian. And this could be because they have a consciousness of sin and want to be saved through Jesus Christ, or it might not. They, they, they might want to be Christians even though they're unfallen. They might just say, you know, salvation isn't the only benefit of being a Christian. They might say, I still want to become a Christian to be a member of the body of Christ, to become closer to God and honor him and have more of his blessings. So you could even have potentially unfallen angels or unfallen aliens wanting to become Christian. How would the question of whether they can become Christians arise? The question of whether they can become Christians would likely first arrive in the mission field. Christians would encounter at least some aliens, and the aliens would express an interest in becoming Christians after learning about the faith. And rather than being able to immediately check with Rome, Christians in the field might need to make the decision. You know, just like in the ancient world, in the age of exploration, or it's not the ancient world, but in the age of exploration, you meet a new tribe, you assume they're humans, you assume you can evangelize them, but you don't have time to send a ship back to Rome and check and do a study. And in the same way, it might not be possible to consult with Rome, especially if it took a long time to communicate with Rome, you know, over light years, uh, or if the, angel, if the aliens were in danger of dying. I mean, maybe they, they're like mayflies. They only live a day. If they're going to be a Christian, it has to be today. Or we're in a battle situation and some of them are dying and one of them says, I want to be a Christian and he's mortally wounded already. No time to check with Rome. So the decision initially would have to, in all likelihood, be made by people in the field. And if a regular practice of receiving aliens developed... I think the magisterium would likely defer to this as that's how God is leading the church in practice as part of living tradition. And so I think that's likely how the question would get kicked up to the magisterium is probably after having some field experience with aliens wanting to be Christian. So then what would ultimately inform the church's decision on this question? Whether or not a practice of receiving aliens into the church in the field developed or not, I think there would be several factors the church would look at. If someone asks to be saved through Christ, it is really hard to shut the door in their face. Therefore, if aliens ask to become Christians, the presumption is going to be that they can become Christians. And this conclusion will be all the more strengthened if they display signs of theological virtues like faith, hope, and charity. If we see aliens having faith, expressing hope in, in uh, God for salvation and doing acts of charity for others because they love God, those are all signs that are just confirm the possibility of them being saved through Christ since that's what they say they want. So, Jimmy, what's your bottom line on this question of aliens and religion? My bottom line is absolutely all of this is speculation, just like I said at the <laughs> beginning. I'm not saying any of it's probable. I don't even know for sure if intelligent aliens exist. I certainly don't know if they want to become Christians if we meet them. Uh, but if they do, if they say, I want to be saved through Jesus Christ, I want to become a Christian, I suspect the magisterium would ultimately allow this, even if they can't lead a full sacramental life. So, Jimmy, uh, what about uh, some further resources for folks if they want to dig a little deeper on this? 
Uh, we're going to have a link to a short book by uh, Brother Guy Consolmagno. He's a Jesuit, and also he co-wrote it with Paul Mueller, another Jesuit. It's called Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial? And it has a section where they talk about some of these considerations. They don't go into as much depth as I just did, but Brother Guy is a Vatican astronomer. He works at the Vatican Observatory, and uh, you want to check out and see what he has to say. Also, we'll have information on Lucian of Samosata's A True Story, and we'll have links to uh, Larry, uh, to descriptions of Larry Niven's Outsiders and Orson Scott Card's uh, Pequeninos or Piggies. Like I said before, there's ground here for people to mine uh, some inter- very interesting stories. I assume this episode is going to be listened to by quite a number of prospective Catholic science fiction authors. Yes, I'm looking forward to reading those. Excellent. That's a good discussion. Uh, So and and probably I'm going to guess basis for further discussions, uh, further episodes down the road. We'll refer back to this as we have uh, other topics that we cover. So that's good. So this is a good foundational episode of Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, do we have some mysterious feedback? Uh, uh, here. Actually, we do have some mysterious feedback here on uh, our episode on the Bilderberg Group. And our first question or first comment comes from Kathy S. on YouTube, um, where Kathy says, honestly, this group, the Bilderberg, uh, sounds like a good idea. Conservatives and progressives do need a place where they can speak honestly with each other about difficult topics without getting misquoted or having this their viewpoints distorted by the media. At, at any rate, anything that Peggy Noonan is, is in on gets my vote. <laughs> I like Peggy, well, too. <laughs> that's one perspective. And the uh, Bilderberg group, you know, can do good. The question is, does it also do some not so good stuff because they're fallen human beings like the rest of us? Right, right. Kelly uh, writes on Facebook, I took a look at the official website and I found it unintentionally hilarious. If they were trying to make people think nothing sinister is going on, the website is a complete fail. What they should do is have their meetings in the middle of a busy restaurant where they loudly discuss their plans. As Chesterton's novel, Man Who Was Thursday, points out, if a bunch of old rich men discuss sinister plans in the open, people think they're just joking and ignore it. Yeah, and The Man Who Was Thursday is a fun read. Yep. Will 140 writes on YouTube, I'd like to apologize to my niece for that 20-minute angry shouting tirade about internationalist conspiracies when you were five. Uncle Brad just realized you said build a bear. <laughs> yeah, not Bilderberg. Bilderberg, build a bear. <laughs> so uh, Matthew Olson also writes on YouTube uh, that Cardinal Parolin attended in 2018. Yes, uh, Cardinal Parolin is the Vatican Secretary of State, and he is confirmed as having attended the Bilderberg meeting in 2018. He, it, I went to the uh, Bilderberg meetings website and looked up the attendees for that year. And yes, he's there. Interesting data point to add. Uh, Dan writes on Facebook, great episode. I really liked Jimmy's Bilderberg PR voice for the FAQs. <laughs> yes, the Bilderberg appreciates your interest in its organization and unfortunately cannot extend you an invitation at this time or any other. <laughs> uh, Carl Edward Vincent writes on YouTube, they mentioned that Margaret Thatcher once criticized the group. Did I miss here? but never said what the criticism was. I hope someone can clarify on that. Yeah, so uh, Margaret Thatcher had attended the Bilderberg meeting at least once, but she also later uh, was critical of them. And that's something that's mentioned in John Ronson's book, Them, Adventures with Extremists, where in one of the sections on the Bilderberg group, he's talking to Big Jim Tucker, who is an American sort of alternative journalist who 
wanted to shine a spotlight on, so to speak, on the Bilderberg Group. And according to Big Jim Tucker, he once sidled up to Margaret Thatcher at a party and said, how does it feel to have been denounced by those Bilderberg boys, ma'am? And she whispered back that she considered it a great tribute to be denounced by Bilderberg. (laughs) All right. So, Jimmy, what do we have for mysterious headlines this week? Okay, so speaking of futuristic things, Elon Musk recently announced a device called a Neuralink, and it is another one of these neural interfaces that people have been working on, only instead of hooking your brain up to a computer through magnetic resonance imaging or a single probe, he's got uh, like a thousand threads that a robot will happily embed deeply in your brain for you. Mm. Uh, this is currently being used. They expect it. It's been used on a monkey already, and they expect to use it on the first human patient within a year. It's initially planned to be used to help like people who have disabilities, like quadriplegics and stuff, to help them recover motion and control their environment since they can't do it for themselves. It has lots of other applications, including giving humans superpowers and making us a board collective. So I've been <laughs> getting questions about that. And you can watch his presentation, which is amazing and creepy um, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And, and we'll have a link to that. Also, with an eye to the future, including tech billionaires who want to go to space, you know, we don't want him like stumbling around where Neil Armstrong put his foot on the moon and messing up that historic footprint. So there is a discussion of how to protect historic sites on the moon from future lunar explorers and inhabitants. So I uh, want to check that out as well. All right. In a minute, I'm going to ask Jimmy about what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. But before I do, uh, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including uh, Mary V, Miguel G, Donna P, Alvin W, and Diane F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. And when I say make it possible, I really mean that. Without the support of our patrons and we're going to need more more of them to be quite honest um we wouldn't be possible to do the show so we have, i'm so grateful to them for their support uh you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so so jimmy what's our next episode going to be about next week our next episode is about that perennial conspiracy theory or conspiracy theories actually connected with the knights templar mm, very good so That's it from us. Uh, What do you think about this discussion we had on aliens and religion? You have any questions? You have any conclusions? Any feedback you want to give us? You can let us know by going to sqpn.com or to the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page. You leave us feedback there. Send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to us uh, at our Twitter account at mys underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback. Uh, please, you know, I always ask this, uh, very, uh, quite often ask this, please share the show with your friends. Uh, our audience has grown so much over the past year, and it's due almost entirely to you, the listener, sharing the, your excitement and your interest with your friends. So please share the podcast with your friends. And if you can, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and write a review. The, all of that really helps us grow this community of listeners and it makes the show better it, it does but the larger the audience the better the show gets 
So, you can find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Tom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. <laughs>